Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college football, the MLB, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 242. Welcome to episode 242. This week we dropped episodes 240 and 241 at the same time, two weeks and one week late, respectively. If you're interested in our takes on the Oklahoma State-Iowa State game a few weeks ago or want to hear some fun facts about Brock Purdy, check out episode 240. For the Oklahoma game recap, NBA trade news, or to hear how well each of your hosts' MLB preseason predictions held up throughout this whole season, check out episode 242. But for now, we're going to continue on with talking about Cyclone football. Yeah, so this was a good week for the Cyclone football team. Um, As TCU came to town, not only was it a night game in which Iowa State historically has played very well in, but it was the Jack Trice legacy game uh, in which the legacy uniforms were out on the field. Field was painted um, in Jack Trice memorandum, like the the whole shebang. Uh, it was a really cool game to to be at. Wyatt and I were there uh, at the game, and the Cyclones definitely showed up, and TCU didn't. the The defense itself did give up a lot of yardage in this game overall, but it did get the job done when it was when it was needed. Uh, Bo Freeler had two interceptions, um, and then another interception. I can't remember who uh, had that one exactly. Jeremiah Cooper almost had a fifth interception on the season. Uh, the defense was in the right place at the right time when it really mattered. TCU's, it was worth worth noting, TCU's starting quarterback uh, was hurt and did not play in the second half of this game. So that's where a few of the interceptions did come from, was from their backup quarterback. But even with uh, their first stringer, uh, in the game, TCU was having a hard time moving the ball, uh, and they didn't get their second touchdown until late garbage time of this game. Overall, the team didn't make many mistakes uh, and capitalized on all the mistakes that TCU made. A blocked punt, uh, which landed Iowa State inside the red zone, I believe in the first quarter, really kind of helped set the tone and get us off and running out of the gates uh, after it was 7-7 uh, seven to seven early. The run game was actually really efficient. Abu Sama had a uh, 50-plus yard touchdown run on the game. Uh, The offensive line was able to get a really good push up front, but there were a couple of times in which seeing some of these plays evolve live, I was thinking to myself, man, if Rocco Becht had just pulled that ball down, he could have run the opposite way for five, ten yards, and I've just been wondering to myself, why is our supposed dual threat quarterback not really running the ball much? I get that he's not really the fastest guy on the field, but still, in some of those read option scenarios, I'm not exactly sure why he's not just pulling it down and taking it off for about five to ten yards instead of the one to two yard play we got with either Sanders, Norton, or Sama on the play. So that's kind of my synopsis. I know, Mike, you said you were a little focused on Major League Baseball, and Ariane, apparently Fox Sports 
just doesn't like you. Do you guys have any other thoughts just looking at the box score from this TCU game? The, the biggest thing for me was the running game. I think it's the first time this year the running game has looked anything that I would call remotely decent. Well, and it's the first time the running game actually outpit, pa- outpaced the passing game, too. Yeah, yes. so that was good to see. Um, I guess I don't know if TCU's defense was just that bad or if we were finally able to generate some push on the offensive line or what it was. Um, but, yeah, to me, the big highlight of that was the run game and then, of course, the defense um, doing their job again. TCU's not great. They're certainly not as good as they were last year. But TCU is a top 25 team preseason and they're maybe not even that good, but this is not a bad TCU team. Nonetheless, and yeah. we made them look pretty bad. Yeah. It's certainly uh, encouraging to see that our average yards per rush at this point in the season are at 3.9. I think there was a time where we were like at three or under. So it's good to see a little bit of improvement there. And it's not very often that you see three different people throw an interception in a game for one team. So that was interesting. Yeah. I did look it up, and according to the score, uh, which I use often to to look at uh, box scores and whatnot, uh, TCU's defense ranks tied for 59th at only allowing 108.2 rushing yards per game. So, uh, obviously, Iowa State's total, which was, where is it at here, 215, was well above uh, what TCU was allowing in the season or over the season. So that's that's one big note. The other thing that I would just harp on, Iowa State was not very efficient on third down. They were able to get a lot of good early yardage gains in the downs on first and second down, but that third down efficiency, 5 of 15, is not really you know something to write home about. So that's just something that, I, like we want to keep our eye on what can we do on third down to keep the offense on the field uh, and continue scoring points. So that is one thing did miss a field goal uh, in the game. Wasn't really a gimme, but it was one that you would like to have with the kicker inside of, I believe 45 yards. So that's that only penalized one time for 15 yards though, in this game, which was uh, really good to see for, for this team. Yeah, that 5 for 15 basically just lines up with what we've been doing on a season average. I think it's about a third of the time that we actually convert our third downs, which is pretty bad for a half a season. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely want to get that to be a lot better. And I do feel like part of that, at least on the whole season, has been the run game. We never get ourselves into third manageables. Obviously, it seemed to be a little bit different this weekend, but uh, it'll definitely be something to watch going forwards. Also, somewhat unrelated, but just uh, college news. I don't know if any of you saw the box score from the Kansas-UCF game where KU ran for 399 yards and passed for 91, but that is ridiculous. (laughs) That is not what Big 12 football normally looks like. They ran for 7.8 yards per rush. So I wish we played UCF this season. but uh, Yeah, it's weird to see a box score where you have 490 total yards of offense and essentially the rushing and passing yards are flipped Yeah, from what a normal box looks like in the Big 12. <laughs> they threw the ball 12 times total the whole game and ran the ball 51 times. Yeah, I love that. I would like to see some Army football, basically. It sounds like the Vikings-Eagles game from earlier this year. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, on Saturday, I just saw that and I was like, is that right? Is Yeah, sure enough. 399 rush yards. If we can get a little bit of that, I would love it. Yeah, that'd be good to see because the running game sets up the passing game for sure. So, And also, side note about Big 12 football as well, since we're talking or switch to that a little bit. Uh, welcome to the Big 12, the new four teams. They are they only have one win on the season, uh, and that win is against themselves in one of the <laughs> like new four teams. I believe BYU over Cincinnati is the only win that those teams have recorded so far in Big 12 play. So speaking of Cincinnati, unless anybody else has... Uh, any more insight on TCU or the week that was in the Big 12? Uh, I just want to say that uh, I was starting quarterback towards something or other and is done for the year. So The second one? For them. Their second stringer? No, their starter. Oh, their starter. Well, yeah. So that, that did happen. They were still able to beat Purdue this week with their backup, but Purdue doesn't have an amazing team this year either so somebody's job is looking like it's in danger though because i don't know if that point total is getting hit the whole big 10 west sucks that's what we've learned but we knew that that that's the crazy thing is iowa still could win the big 10 west but fire their offensive coordinator if they beat wisconsin i believe iowa plays wisconsin this week uh they do if iowa beats wisconsin they'll be the favorite in the Big Ten West. Whoever wins that game is the favorite in the Big Ten West, for sure. Back to the Big 12 and what lies ahead for Iowa State. Up next is Cincinnati. Um, This game is an 11 o'clock kick on October 14th on FS1 again. So, Ariana, I I hope you're really excited about that. Yeah, fingers crossed. The line for this game opened with Cincinnati being four-and-a-half-point favorites. The money has... Uh, since still continue to land on Cincinnati, uh, pushing them to five-point favorites um, in this game. So overall, uh, offensively, Cincinnati does have a really good offense statistically. Uh, they are averaging 500 total yards per game with 269 passing yards and 229 or 220 rushing yards in a game. So a pretty balanced offense uh, yardage-wise, averaging 30 points per game. Uh, and they have a really good third down percentage at 45% so far this season. Defensively, the teams almost stack up uh, similarly as far as defensive ranks go. So in the box score, it looks like Cincinnati is the better team. We will see how that goes as Iowa State has been playing much better of late than they have early on in the season. So yeah, that's what that's what we have. Obviously, it'll be a test of this is probably the best defense Cincinnati has has played all season well they played OU oh they have played OU already yeah I they lost 20 that. to 6 probably the second best defense they've seen all year sure second best defense they've seen all year uh and yeah are they up to the test is Iowa State up to the test on the road game I think um this should be a good game and my hope is that Iowa State gets to four and three as as all as everybody will see later in the write that down predictions. So anything else? Cincinnati does have a loss to Miami of Ohio, which I don't know what that's more or less embarrassing than losing to regular Ohio. We'll go ahead and call it even. I think that one was at home though. So that makes it a little worse. This isn't uh, your older brother's Cincinnati team to, to, to borrow a phrase that no, doesn't make much sense, but I'm going to use it anyway. 
no college football playoffs for them this year? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So, yeah, there you have it. Looking forward to that matchup this weekend. Yeah, that should be a fun one. Speaking of exciting matchups, we did have some interesting matchups in the wild card round, but ultimately the 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 outcomes didn't really allude to that. Mike, do you want to fill us in on what happened there? Yeah, so we talked about the wild card matchups last week. Um, they were played Tuesday, Wednesday, and and well, they were also supposed to be played Thursday, but um, they were all sweeps, so nobody had to play on Thursday. All the series were done after Tuesday and Wednesday. The Twins um, knocked off the Blue Jays in two games. The Rangers um, absolutely bludgeoned the Rays. The D-backs outlasted the Brewers, and the Phillies just looked like a class above um, the Marlins. The Marlins did not look like they belonged at all in that series. So a little bit of anticlimactic, no game threes. That was really not what the NFL wanted, I'm sure. I'm sure they would have preferred, or the MLB wanted. I was going to say, yeah, did the NFL really care about game threes? Yeah, the NFL probably liked that they weren't any because then everybody wanted to watch sports on Thursday, had to watch football um, yeah. instead. But yeah, so they all uh, ended in two games, so no extra baseball on Thursday. But all the teams that played in it loved that because they got an extra day to set up their pitching for the next series. Especially the D-backs, because the D-backs were able to use really their top-of-the-rotation guys and then turn it around and pretty much use them again for their next series. So that was the biggest surprise to me was Arizona going into Milwaukee, and Arizona was really on the attack in that series the whole time. Uh, it seemed like Milwaukee was just a little slow, uh, at times in that series, they did jump out to early leads, but the Diamondbacks just found ways to string together a lot of hits. Uh, I believe it was game one that I was watching where they went back to back home runs where it was a two run and a one and a solo shot uh, that really kind of took all the air out of that uh, Brewers series. It felt like and the Diamondbacks just kept rolling as they have into the division series, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, then they they uh, drew the Dodgers in the division series, and they absolutely took it to the Dodgers in Game One, winning that game eleven to two. So the Diamondbacks are up one nothing on the Dodgers in the division series. It's really been a lot of uh, a lot of upsets in the division series, which you had, you had two upsets and two uh, higher seeds winning in the divisional or in the wildcard round, though the Twins, the one of the higher seeds, was an underdog. Um, but in the division series, it has been pretty much all upset so far. Texas is up 2 nothing on Baltimore. The Twins and Astros are split one game apiece, going back to uh, Minneapolis for games 3 and 4, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, as I said, the D-backs took a one nothing lead on the, on the Dodgers, and the Phillies are off to a one nothing lead on the Braves, and the Phillies are actually winning that game, too, as we are recording this. So they have a good chance to end up with a 2 to nothing lead in that series. And they're stealing games here, right? You know, each team that wins, you know, one of the first two games on the road, you consider that a steal because now you're going back home to your, your fan base, your ballpark, and you could potentially get the job done 
there instead of having to go back to a game five uh, in the other team's ballpark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly exactly it, right? Minnesota now has home field advantage. All of those teams now have home field advantage. Um, they've stolen it away from the higher seeds with games three and four being played at the lower seed before game five, if necessary, goes back to the higher seed. So Baltimore's got to win two in a row at Texas just to bring it back for a game five, which would be quite tough. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? And we will keep an eye on how that goes. And we will keep you all informed on next week's episode. Before that, though, Mike, I wanted to get your take because I saw this today. I didn't put much thought into it, but I wanted to ask you. So I saved it. Someone, I I saw a post that someone was basically saying we need to get rid of the three-game wild card and go back to the one-game wild card. Because with the argument that you are leaving the best teams who have played the best baseball all season at home for an additional week, kind of waiting it out until they get to play again. What are your thoughts on, you know, that situation? Should we go back to a one game wild card? Is the three game like best of three series good for baseball? How does it shake out with the top teams kind of having to wait? Because as we can see in the division series, I, there are teams stealing games now, and those are the teams that had been playing in the wild card. So if that's really what you're concerned about, hear me out and just ditch the fifth and sixth wild card and go back to four teams like you used to do. Like, if that's really a concern, just do that. I, I did not like the one game wild card. Having 162 game season and then decide the first round of your playoffs with a game just makes no sense. If you're really concerned, about the high seeds resting too much, then just get rid of the fifth and sixth teams and go back to the way you had it. No, don't go back to the one game wild card. That's not the answer here. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit antithetical of how baseball is set up. Like all series is how it works. It kind of makes sense for the NFL. It's also quick one game. It's only 17 games in a season as opposed to, you know, 3 million for baseball. I think your idea makes a lot more sense. Or just leave it the same. Just leave it the same. I honestly would be in favor of going back to four teams. Uh, it, you got your three division winners, and then you got one wild card spot up for grabs. But, you know, they're obviously not going to do that because it's a money-making industry, and the more teams they get in, the more money they make. Yeah, I mean, they won't go back. I yeah, mean, they'll never not, go back. That's not a serious suggestion, um, I don't think. But, um, but it, I mean, if, if that's what they're concerned about, then then that's the solution. I don't think they should change it. Three-game series is barely enough in the playoffs to figure out um, the best option there. So Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just saw that and thought it was an interesting conversation, wanted to bring it up. And other than that, something interesting in case none of our listeners saw this, uh, Bryson Stott or whoever, the second baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies in their win over the Marlins, if no one saw that Grand Slam video where the Phillies crowd was all singing his walk-up song and then first pitch, he cranks it to right field, that might have been one of the coolest videos we got all season of Major League Baseball. So go look it up. Really, really cool video. Really cool moment for the Phillies. I don't know if anybody else saw it. I can find that link and, and share it with you guys as well. I have not seen it. I've seen I it, but I think it's overrated. Okay. Ooh, I wow. take. I 
I liked it. I thought it was cool. But here we go, Mike. It wasn't your moment, so you didn't love it. I see. I prefer I prefer Royce Lewis hitting home runs in his first two at bats. That's what I prefer. That's your cup of tea. Yeah. Speaking of cool moments, right now Brock Purdy is still taking the NFL by storm as the uh, San Francisco 49ers and company put a hurt on them boys this weekend uh, on Sunday Night Football. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. It was the highly uh, vaunted game of the week as as it looked great on paper. The Dallas Cowboys obviously faced faced their toughest test of the season uh, in the 49ers offense. And I think we should maybe consider squashing some of the Brock Purdy is just a system quarterback. I get that he went to a great situation in San Francisco and is benefiting from that. But the fact of the matter is four touchdown passes last night uh, against that Dallas Cowboys defense is phenomenal. He made a lot of great throws. He's throwing guys open uh, and just making all the throws that he needs to and not making the ones that he doesn't. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but he's throwing all of those passes in the same system, right? There's no way we could know whether or not it is a case of... uh, We've seen this before, right? I'm sure people probably said the same thing about Tom Brady. I know people desperately want to make those parallels with these late-drafted quarterbacks, but like, was it... Tom Brady or was it Bill Belichick? I mean, it's always like a combo of both, right? The player is generally more important than the coach. The coach can't play the game, but I think it's both. I think Brock Purdy is definitely a good player, but there's no denying that Shanahan's one of the best in the game right now, and he knows exactly how to utilize his players. I mean, if he goes to if he goes to the Chargers, he's not going to play well. Like, we know that, right? You can't think that he's going to play better than Justin Herbert. But do you think Patrick Mahomes was going to play as well as he did in the New York Giants system with whoever Joe Joe Judge is their quarterback or their uh, head coach a special teams coach no I think it's weird like what does system quarterback mean everybody's a system quarterback if you don't like that's the job of the head coach I agree you can call Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback I guess because his genius blends so well with the genius of Andy Reid I don't know why it's an insult really to be honest I He's kicking ass, and that's what matters at the end, right? And I think that's the the narrative that I hope that we start squashing is the fact that, yes, Brock Purdy is benefiting from a great situation, but so is every other good, great quarterback in the NFL. Yep. Tom so Brady did Jimmy benefited, Yeah, so did Tom Trey Brady Lance. benefited from great defenses in his offense you know you had to score 21 points a game and that won you the game because the defense was phenomenal pretty much every season that he was there Tua is benefiting from a a host of weapons and an incredibly smart young mind as a head coach you saw it with even back to Peyton Manning he benefited from a lot of the weapons that he had on that team with the Colts and then obviously when he went to the Broncos that was a great situation for him there so the narrative of the system quarterback thing shouldn't be a like knock on them. It should be a, you know, he's a great quarterback for that system. That is how it fits. When everybody talks about good teams this season, you talk about the quarterback and the coaching situation combined. That's why it was like, okay, maybe Sean Payton is going to help the, the Denver Broncos get back to where they think they should be because 
nobody thought Russell Wilson was truly washed. And Sean Payton has been a really good offensive mind, you know, back in the day with the Saints. But when he had Drew Brees, it, sure. But it isn't working right now because the coach, the head coach and quarterback combination isn't there. And yeah. that that's just how it rolls. So it is not a knock on Brock Purdy. He is taking the doing the most with what he has and that and he has a lot. So it's just how it rolls. And but it is crazy to look out on that field and see, you know, George Kittle has been somewhat of a disappearing act all season and there you go three touchdowns in one game so they just have a host of of weapons on that so i i would like to think they're the clear-cut favorite but the philadelphia eagles are keeping pace as far as undefeated records go um as they get another victory this week the eagles and the 49ers as i mentioned are the only two remaining undefeated teams in the nfl I, I can't believe we're just going to get through this whole game without you taking some time to tell us how much better you think Brock Purdy is than Dak Prescott. I thought for sure we were going to get like a solid three to five minutes on how bad Dak Prescott is. You're just going to let that be there. I can't, I can't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Dak had some bad moments in this game because the West coast or Texas coast offense, whatever you want to call it, that defense knows how to play against that style of offense because that's what the 49ers run and are efficient with. So they play against it all the time. You had the defense running routes for some of the, the Cowboys receivers. That's, that's all there. I, I'm not going to ding him too much on it. I want to see more. I just think that the Cowboys have a serious issue at head coach and they need to fix it. You see it where yeah, all the Aaron other Rogers teams would agree with you there. Did he? I mean, he liked Mike McCarthy when they won a Super Bowl, but not after yeah. that. So, He's yeah. the reason they fired Mike McCarthy. Yep. So. True. I, I don't think Mike McCarthy's it. Dak Prescott could benefit from a better offensive coordinator as a head coach than Mike McCarthy, uh, which is why I was incredibly surprised that they let Kellen Moore walk. But what's done is done. Speaking or some other games that I wanted to touch on around the league this weekend, Jets beat the Broncos. Brees Hall was phenomenal in that game uh, in what was deemed as the Hackett Bowl. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett was very elated on the sideline when they won that game. The Baltimore Ravens flopped at the Steelers. That is not an issue on Lamar Jackson. They went out and spent draft capital on receivers, got Odell Beckham, who is hurt, granted, but Man, Lamar Jackson needs some help at receiver because it is just him against the world out there on that field, and I feel bad for Ravens fans. Speaking of receivers, Jamar Chase is actually indeed always open. Uh, I believe 15 catches, 192, and three touchdowns this weekend uh, after that you know, quote in the locker room last week after the game. He's very open. Panic time in Minneapolis, Mike, are we are we actually panicking? Are we saying let's let's get the best value out of Kirk Cousins we can, or are we just kind of seeing what's what's happening? We're just watching baseball. <laughs> That's probably the best choice. That is a really good option. Uh, something to watch going forward is Justin Jefferson. Uh, it did look like he was favoring that hamstring a little bit. Um, yeah, I believe he's, his he's right right leg. He's not unlikely to play next week is what I just saw. So the Vikings will have to go to Chicago, a place they've always struggled without Justin Jefferson. 
Lucky for you, Chicago also has always struggled at Chicago at least in recent <laughs> times. So, shout out to Chicago. Your uh, offense is relevant in fantasy again, uh, but you did get a win over the Washington Commanders uh, this week as DJ Moore had a phenomenal game um, for the Chicago Bears. So, yeah, shout out to them. First win in like 15 regular season games. So, not a not a record you like to keep continuing caring so glad they were able to break that what what do both of you guys make of the weirdness on the call at the end of that chiefs vikings game uh he should have been flagged for taking his helmet off 100 he should have been flagged for that but the only thing about that flag is obviously i'm not i'm not mike can talk about the the pass interference or whatnot i believe it was uncatchable but he should have been flagged for taking his helmet off, but the, that's an, a dead ball foul. In between da- in between so downs. It was, it was in between downs, which was a turnover on downs, so the Chiefs would have had the ball at like the five-yard line or something like that, Yeah, and it really wouldn't that. have mattered that, ultimately. Um, yeah, that probably didn't matter much. We saw that exact penalty called in that uh, Chiefs, or Chiefs, the Steelers-Ravens game, which is why I thought it was interesting, because those were the two games I watched on Sunday. T.J. Watt ripped his helmet off after just destroying uh Lamar Jackson on the end of the play and they did flag him and it didn't matter they still won the game but I thought it was interesting that we didn't the second time I don't know why they didn't they no they 100% should have that was uh a bad look for that officiating crew um that's that's a flag you have to throw I mean Travis Kelsey Travis Kelsey got a flag thrown on him for taking his helmet off when he was about three yards away from the sideline walking off the field he walked right past the ref as he was taking his helmet off and had a flag thrown on him, I believe, in week one or, or week two. So you just got to be consistent. That's yeah. that's all I'm going to say. Well, I and I don't hate picking up the pass interference flag like I wasn't screaming at the officials for that. What I was saying is they also missed a blatant hands to the face penalty on the one of the pass rushers on defense there who literally shoved CJ's Ham's neck back so far. I'm surprised it didn't break. But also, um They missed a they missed a pretty blatant holding call on your fake punt too. If uh, they're gonna if but if they're gonna pick that. up the, if they're gonna pick up the pass interference flag, I want that pass interference flag they threw on the Chiefs fourth down earlier picked up too, because Harrison Smith didn't touch him. That wasn't pass interference either. Yeah, I, I'll agree on that one. I was like you know i'm not gonna i wasn't gonna argue that flag in that moment but i i see why they called it like right you've got an underthrown ball a defender running to catch up who doesn't turn and look at the ball that looks bad i agree i see why they threw the flag but like if you look at the replay he he didn't touch him right there was no substantial contact on that play that that was the problem yeah, MVS could have sold it 100% better than he did. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't enough contact on that one to be pass interference. But no, I wasn't, I mean, I obviously I was upset that they picked up the flag um, for pass interference at the end of the game, but I'm not like screaming that it was rigged in a terrible call. I mean, that was, I can see how they'd pick that up. That's that's somewhat reasonable, so. Yeah, it's a it's a call that you get that goes your way. Teams have them all the time. It's just, unfortunately, for Chiefs fans right now, everybody is running it down our throats that we're just getting those calls because the league's scripted. So, 
If we could be done with the scripted thing, I'm so tired of it. Everybody was... Uh, here's the only thing I will say against that is how many times were we all screaming at the TV when Tom Brady was getting those calls? Right. All the time. It has nothing all to do with time. scripted. It has to do with the, 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 the people who are good, the people who are making money for the league, the people who are popular to get more of the calls it's just going to be biased we've seen it forever we've seen it with tom brady we've seen it with peyton Manning. we've seen it with patrick mahomes now that's just how it works unfortunately you're gonna have to get over it yep and there you have it speaking of things we need to get over we need to get over our illiteracy when it comes to rules and thankfully mike is our expert when it comes to rules so mike i see you have a quiz for us and you're going to make us all look pretty stupid, probably. So what do you got for us this week? Yeah. So what I'm seeing, or what I'm going to talk about in rules, is we got a situation for you here. And then um, I'm going to ask you guys to tell me how this should be officiated. And then I'll read the rules and tell you what would actually happen. So baseball game, runners on first and second. The batter blasts it off the center field fence. For a double, both runs score, and the runner, of course, ends up at second base. After the play is over, it's discovered that um, some of the seams were ripped off the ball. It was hit so hard so that the ball um, was starting to come apart during play. How should that be officiated? It was damaged by the hit? By being hit, yes. Then I think you would just play it like normal? Yeah, that that's what I'm gonna say. Just play it like normal. It's nothing different than a shattered back coming screaming at you, right? But the, the ball is what you're trying to throw to get the runner out at home plate. But it's half you can't a can't do anything while the ball's alive. You let the play continue until the play's dead and you replace the ball, right? That is what I would think as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get somebody to disagree, but you're all correct, right? <laughs> okay. I was like, it, I was like, it doesn't matter. Just you're gonna have to play with what you got, you know? Yeah, Not no, you're all correct. That's covered um, just in Rule 3.01, which just defines what the ball is. I won't read you the definitions of the ball, but there is a comment on Rule 3.01 that says, "Should a ball come partially apart apart in a game, it is in play until the play is completed." So essentially the answer is is you, you do nothing. You play the play out, you replace it, and whatever happens, happens. That's it. Makes sense. Interesting. I, I wonder, that's not called out in like a football rule anywhere. I wonder what would happen if the ball blew up during a down. <laughs> They're just like throwing a limp football around. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah. You punch the cover off the ball? <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting. I, I wonder... I could only see that happening in like a high school game too, where you've got less lower quality footballs. But could be. I mean, technically, all balls are supposed to be made to the same NFHS standard, but I guess it's a possibility. Also, a football doesn't take nearly as much abuse as a baseball does, too. So I'm not surprised that we've never seen that happen. But interesting hypothetical. Yeah, it is. That is sort of an interesting hypothetical. Cool. Any more questions on that one? Or should we move on along? Let's move along. Yeah. All right. We will move along to our write that down predictions and our accountability session as we always do. And what we've got this week is um checking out basically two predictions coming off the board, both around that twins playoff series. Um I had predicted um about midway through the season 
that the Twins would win a playoff game and break their 18-game losing streak. As we found out, um, they did um, sweep the Blue Jays and end that losing streak. So I get a ding 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 But Kyle, just to rain on my parade last week, predicted that the Twins would lose to the Blue Jays, which they did not. So Kyle gets a nah. Nah. That that was it. Those are the only two predictions from our accountability session. Ariane, you want to get some stuff back on the board? All right. I am feeling happy. Uh, I told my wife that either I want the Twins to get swept out of the playoffs or I want them to go all the way because that's what kind of friend I am. I either want you to be miserable or happy. Uh, and I'll take joy <laughs> in, in both. Between. Yes. Um, but I'm going to start small. And we're just going to say that the Twins are going to win this series that they are currently playing. Uh, I'm not going to go all the way yet. Sure. According to fan graphs, as of right now, the Twins have a 44.8% chance of winning this series. 44.8. So this is probably a single? Makes sense to me. Yep, agreed. All right, single it is. For me, I'm uh, fully drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm loving what I'm seeing from the Twins, and I'm going to predict that they win the World Series. I'm just going for it. I don't know what the numbers are on that, but it seems like it's probably triple, I would guess, by the numbers. The the numbers say 10.5% chance that the Twins win the World Series. 10.5. Where does that put them in, like, everybody who's left? The Orioles have a 1.6 because they're down two games to nothing. Astros are at 17.2, Rangers at 15.2, Phillies at 18.1, Braves at 17.8, and the Diamondbacks and Dodgers are both at 9.8. So only the Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and um, Orioles have worse odds than the Twins. So you guys are basically right in the middle. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm fine with the triple. Yeah, I'm okay with that. So yeah, ten percent's kind of in that intermediary zone. Triple, That's almost true. borderline home run, but I'll, I'll go with triple on this one as well. I'll take that. Do everything from Josh this week. Is he still alive? He is. He's engaged in this Packers game that's happening right now, and he is going to predict um, from what he's seeing that the Packers will finish exactly second in the division. Exactly that seems, second. That seems likely. That's probably what I peg them at right now. Yeah. The Bears are bad. The Vikings are bad. The Bears um, are just terrible. The Vikings just play terrible. And the, the Lions seem to be pretty legit this year. So that is where I would guess they would end up. Yeah, that seems about right to me for where they'd end up. Yeah. Single? Sure. The um, longevity would make me consider a double. Yeah. But when I, I think about it, I'm like, I give them a 50% chance, right? They're not going to end up in last. I know that. Sure, one of the Bears Vikings will be last. I don't know. I'm going to stick with single, but... I'm also sticking with single. What y'all got? I'll go double, just to give Josh the benefit of the doubt. I agree, double. And this is a bit awkward, because I'm in the middle of a move, and I don't know where our John Adams dollar gold coin is. Oof. I actually have one. Let me find it. Do you? You're going to bail us out? That's good. The the rules do specifically say it has to be a John Adams coin that we flip. So if it wasn't that, we'd be in violation of our rules. Lucky me. He's on the top, too. All right. I got John Adams here. Uh, So what? Heads is single, tails is double or triple? Sure. Double. All right. It is heads. 
So Josh gets a single. Single it is. We haven't had a scoregami in a couple weeks, so I'm going to say there is a scoregami next week. I mean, what are the odds of a scoregami in any given week? Sounds like um, more math than we've already had three. This, we've already had three this season, right? Quite yeah. a bit. I think. Are they all? I think we definitely had two. two in one week. Yeah. I think we just have two total. Am I wrong, though? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe two or three. So one of those options, I mean, probably doesn't sway our vote that much. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up. I'm going to say a triple. I like a triple. Yeah, that seems fine to me. We have had three this year. Ravens, Texans, Eagles, Bucks, and then, of course, the Dolphins, Broncos. (laughs) So triple? Yeah. I'll take it. it. I got an easy one for you guys. Don't worry. The Cyclones will beat the Bearcats this weekend. I think FPI gives us like a... 42% 42% chance or something, if I remember I correctly. about 36. Let me double okay. check. 36, yeah, 36.1. That's right in between single and double territory. I think we're better than Cincinnati, so I'm going to say single. I agree. Especially after seeing the performance last week against TCU, I, I feel a lot better now. I'd go single. Yeah, that's fine. That was I, the, I made this, and I was like, if I get a single, that's fine. I dig it. That was a pretty quick one. With three singles and two triples, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 Cast, episode 242. From now until next week's episode, which will be out next week, be sure to check out our social media pages at 8311Cast, wherever you find us. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.